0: Dassa, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Real Woman, Real Torah, a project of Bacetta Learning Center. We're here to offer you an authentic Torah learning experience, produced for woman, by woman. I hope you enjoy.
1: If you'd like to follow along inside the text, you can find a fully vowelized PDF of the Doth at www. At Hello,
0: everyone. Welcome back. We are learning Doff Mem Bays today. We're going to be finishing a Perek um, and moving on to Perek Shemini. So we're in the bottom of Mem Aleph Ahmed
1: Bays, three lines from the bottom of the page to the middle of the line. We're in the middle of a whole section about the uh, dangers and the you know, undesirable nature of flattery. We had a series, we're in the middle of a series of teachings from Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Lazar, sorry, about this very point. So, middle of the third line from the bottom, Rabbi Lazar said, anyone who flatters his friend, right? And, you know, instead of saying, you know, the truth and rebuking him for what he does wrong, sort of tries to cover it over it, right? And say, it anymore polite way, Saif Naifo-Beyadai. He will eventually fall into his hands. Vim will Naifo-Beyadai, if he doesn't fall into his hands, Naifo-Beyad-Banav, fall into the hands of his son. Vim Eina Naifo-Beyad-Banav, beyad ban if he doesn't fall into the hands of his son, he'll fall into the hands of his grandson. So we're going to give a very interesting example. uh from the Pesach of so from the Nebi uh, Yirmiyahu. So just a little bit of historical context. The Jewish people are still, it's a very, very end of the first base of Mekdash, right before the Horban. The king has already been, the royal family has been exiled. A lot of the Kalim from the base of Mekdash have been taken. Uh, and it's a very, very uncertain time. And Yirmiyahu is basically telling the Jewish people, you know what? Like you should surrender to the, ba- like, Nebuchadnezzar, real You've sinned, right? It's time to, go into Galos, uh and don't try and fight back, right? So Yirmiyahu is all doom and gloom saying that they're going to be punished for their sins, whereas Hananiah ben Azor was a false prophet. There were a whole bunch of false prophets who made their business by, uh, you know, st- st- telling good prophecies. And they said, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. Hashem's going to bring all the captives back and everything's going to be good, right? So who do you think people are going to listen to? The false prophets, right? Good news is always more popular, um, anyway, so Yirriyahu is, and Hanania are standing in front of a big crowd, and Hanania said, um, no, don't worry, everybody, you know, in two years, Hashem's going to bring back all the captives, and, you know, it's all going to be good, you know, don't listen to this guy, Yirriyahu, who's trying to scare you. Um, so Yirriyahu said to Hanania, amen, ken yasa Hashem, yakem Hashem esforach, right, so in response, here says, yes, uh, you know, I mean, may Hashem do as you say, like if only Hashem will fulfill your words and bring back uh, you know, the captives and, you know, restore everything that we've lost, right? So instead of who te- directly contradicting Kanani and telling him that what he said was wrong, he kind of said it in a roundabout way, you know, kind of uh, sarcastically, or maybe not sarcastically, but sincerely wishing that th- that would be the case uh, and only implying that it's not true. Um, and that wasn't the right thing to do, right? At that moment, who uh, was expected to stand up for what was true and tell the, tell the people uh, the harsh truth the harsh reality and so uh as a punishment what happens sometime later by who by he who ben so uh Yir-Miyahu is traveling to the um section of binyamin you know binyamin's uh area and our and there's a guard there right because right now at the time there's a siege the Kostem are surrounding um you know Eretz Yisrael and um, he's making sure that no one is going to defect. There's a guard there to make sure that no one's going to defect to the cosm. Now Nirmiyahu is kind of on everybody's blacklist by now because he keeps saying, uh, you guys have sinned. Um, you know, you're as a result, you're gonna go into Gaulus, and he's telling them, uh, submit to Nebuchadnezzar, submit to the kingdom of Babel, don't fight back, right? Uh, and that's viewed as basically being a traitor <laughs> to the kingdom, right? So he's kind of an Everest backlist, kind of Uriah you know, was trying to keep a low profile because, you know, he's really uh, on the run. Anyways, he's this guard at Sharban season. Who is this guard at Sharban His name is Uriah ben Shalamiah ben Hananiah. He is the grandson of Hananiah, who we just met before <clears throat> and your so yes path is your and Avi he grabs Yuriyah, and Navi Lamar saying Elakastim at the you are going to defect to the costume you're defecting to our enemies but Yarla Yuriu Shakir and any knife L and Uriah says no that's not true that's not true at all I'm just simply just you know conveying the word of a chef uh and it says right? it says that he that Uriah, the grandson of Hanania, grabs Uriah and he brings him to the officers and he gets put in jail. Right. So we see that Uriah eventually because as a result of flattering Hanania. Sometime earlier, he later uh, gets jailed by Hanania's grandson. But so another teaching for Rebelezzar about the flat flattery. Call Ida Any congregation which has flattery in it. Uh, so Ma'usa literally needs repulsive in this context, right, is sort of set aside, right? Is uh you know, must be desolate, kept a distance from. Like Nida, just like Anita uh, needs to keep a certain distance between her husband, just like there's a certain impurity which those who don't want to become impure must separate from, uh, so too uh, a nation that is, uh, you know, a community, uh, which flatters uh, will similarly be
0: abandoned. Shanamar, as it says, okay. Yeah, yeah. Just like a little bit about about uh, Musa Kanita. Right? Why are we using this analogy of Anita specifically? Meaning, we're, we're clearly trying to, you know, bring an example of something which which has tuma, um, uh, but why Anita? Um, specifically there's many categories of Toma, right? So the Benignetta says that, you know, we're specifically comparing this to the Toma of Nida because um, a, um, uh, the the, the, the Toma of Nida is, is a Toma which is coming from the person's body, right? Like the woman's woman herself is producing this... this um, Flow that is causing her to be anita as opposed to let's say a tumas mace, right? A dead body which she would touch. It's sort of an external source of tumma that's impacting her. So here, because the, the the flattery is coming from the own person, right? The person is is saying these words of flattery themselves um it's a type of toma which is not being influenced by something external but it's coming from within the person themselves so that's sort of like one way of seeing this analogy of of of, of the toma comparing it to the toma of anita specifically and Maharsha says like you said that that the the comparison here is that you know with anita the the woman's a woman's husband would have to distance himself from her um so so that he won't you know they won't end up coming, you know, having any sort of contact while she's Anita. And that's similar to someone who's a flatterer, you know, we should sort of be keeping our distance from them so that we won't be influenced in any way um, by their negative behavior. Um, and the actual so Samasha actually says this is like, this is sort of a connect, this is sort of connecting back to the whole story of Yeshua and Kalev, right? How Yeshua and Kalev sort of had to distance themselves from the other Moraglim who were engaging in this type of, uh, you know, false, uh, you know, f- flattery, so to speak, when they were uh, talking about Archistral to the Jewish people. Um, another idea a more like positive spin on this um, is that the Nida, just like a is only a temporary state, right? The woman is in Nida for a certain amount of time and then she goes through a process of purification and becomes pure. And it's saying... So to hear, you know, when, you know, when the Jewish people sin, right, they're engaging in this negative behavior, it's only temporary and ultimately Hashem will purify them and they're going to, they're going to they're gonna come out of that state of impurity, um, eventually. And just an interesting idea that, um, the Chassam Sefer says, you know, we all know the story in Bratius, right? Where Rachel, um, the Rachel menu is sitting on her camels and her father-loving comes and asks her, you know, where are my idols? Right. And she says, oh, I can't get up because I have, um, Derek Nashim, right? Like I mean, i I'm, I'm. You know, I'm having my 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 menstrual cycle, and you know, what seemingly seems to be, she's, it seems like she's she's lying, right? Because <laughs> that's not that's not really actually why she didn't want to get up. Um, but according to this, Kusam Saver says she's not actually lying because she's based on this Gemara, right? She's saying uh, getting up for you would be like flattery, uh, flattering a Russia and and flattery is like is like being Anita, right? Um, so that's sort of what she was trying, sort of hinting to, <laughs> when she said this to to Lavan. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, That's fascinating. Cool.
1: Um, so Rabbalazar is going to quote a pasuk which uh, supports this point. Shnei adas Hanaf Galmud. Right, a, a community which flatters shall be desolate. Now shekein makarcha yam karin lanida Galmuda. Right, and it says it in, in certain um, islands, right, faraway islands, they would call anida. Uh, galmuda that was for sort of the nickname they used my gamulda galmuda bala. what is the meaning of the word galmuda. it's a contraction of two words gamula bala. right separate uh, from her husband and so when it says ki Galmud means a a nation of flatters will be like a Galmud anita which is separate from her husband. But I'm a Lazar and Robert Lazar says Kal Ida shesh b'chanufa Lisa gaila right, any uh, community which has flattery will eventually be exiled. Right, as we said before, there, it says that a uh, community of flatterers will be uh, separate like Anita, um, right, says so you'll say in your heart, ooh, how did I, who, Birthed all of these children for me, who gave me all of this. Uh, I am bare. I am bereaved and and alone, exiled, and um, you know, full have borne so much suffering, right? So we see in this in this context, the word Galmuda, right, which we before connected with Hanifa before, uh, is juxtaposed to Gaila to being exiled. Amara me up Abba, Abba said, Arba in there are four categories of sinners which will not uh receive the face of the Shlina, right? They can't, the Shlina can't sort of bear to receive them, so to speak. Uh Kas Latin, right? Those who are scoffers, Kas hanifim, those who flatter, Kas Shakranim, those who lie, Kas with Sabra Legendhara, those who say Legendara. The um, chesed as it says, divers scholars are you Sorry, I, I skipped a line. Cast litzim the the category of scoffers, as it says, mashach yaday es Right, he withdraws his hand from those who scoff. Right, it says those who. uh this will not come before him. Right, those who lies it says those who speak lies will not stand up before me, before my eyes. Um, so Hashem says, because uh, says like that, because you're not a God who desires um, evil. Uh, you will not dwell with that. Uh, sorry, you're not. Yeah, you're not a god who desires the Russia. You will not dwell with that. Uh, you're righteous, uh, and evil will not dwell in your midst. Okay, so Hadran Alaf Amaran. we have finished the seventh parak
0: of Masada Saida. Just be, just before we go on to the next parak, just a little bit about these four categories of people. Um, so first of all, that reads all rights that that these these four categories are listed in order of severity, right? So like sort of the least the most um I guess the most subtle form of evil is just people who are leitzim, right? They're just sort of waste time, are involved in meaningless things, right? Aren't don't take life seriously, right? That's like the first stage, right? And each of these levels also sort of lead to the next. So you start with just the leitzim. The next level is the Hanifin, the people who get involved in flattery. Uh, the next step is 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 shkarim, um, is the people who are who getting involved in lies, and the last stage is Lash of which is like the most severe. So we're sort of like, it's sort of this downward uh, <laughs> downward spiral, yeah, these four different behaviors. Um, and so so why, why what does it have to do with, you know, not being able to receive the, the face of the Shina? So there's a few different, like, kind of takes on this. So the Maharsha says that all of these sins are related to speech in some way, right? Like, the late are people who are just, you know, just talking about meaningless things, right? Flattery, lying, um, Lashon Hara, it's all to do with speech. And we know in general that, you know, the Mitzayra, which is the, Saras is the punishment for Lashon Hara, right? And what happens to the Mitzayra? The Mitzara has is sort of exiled from the camp. They have to sort of isolate and be um, outside the camp. Um, so so sort of we're drawing this, this parallel here that anytime someone sins with their speech, um, that sort of re- removes them from being able to be in the presence of the Shekhinah. Um but Nayada says that all these people are people who are trying to sort of appease other people, right? They're trying to sort of, you know, sweet talk or, or find a way of finding favor in the eyes of other people and and not trusting in Hashem. And so that's why sort of the mida k'negen mida, the consequence of that is that they sort of are distanced from Hashem and aren't able to receive Hashem's presence. Um, the Mekna Malayao actually also talks about how all these people are people who, you know, in some way aren't able to fully invest themselves in the Rubidis Hashem, um, in like a really, you know, sincere and 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 deep way, right? Like the late Sam are people who don't don't take life seriously, right? So they can't really like take their relationship with Hashem seriously. The liar is someone who um, you know, is uh has, has mistakes, you know, ima- their imagination for reality. Right. So someone like that, you know, is always fooling themselves and therefore can never really have a real sincere Relationship with Hashem. Um, the flatterers are people who um, are sort of placing placing their trust in other people, right? They're saying, like, oh, I need to flatter other people in order to get what I need from them, right? As opposed to putting putting their, their trust in Hashem. Um, and the people who are saying Lashatara are, are sort of believing in their own power, right? They kind of, there's, st- you know, people who, who are who gossip are sort of have this false sense that putting other people down will somehow make me greater. Um, so all these people are people who are sort of blocking themselves from being able to really have a real sincere relationship with Hashem. Um, and just one more idea when it says, right? These are, these are all people who can't receive the face of the Shkina. So there's a Sicha that kind of sort of mentions in passing that these could be people that, you know, believe in Hashem are, you know, religious Jews who believe in Hashem and believe Hashem is constantly creating the world and all of that, but they don't, they're not able to see the Pnei Shekhinah, right? Meaning they don't see, you know, Hashem as speaking the face of Hashem, right? They don't see Hashem as speaking directly face-to-face with them um, and speaking to them personally, right? And because they don't see, you know, like, they although they might believe in Hashem, they don't see their relationship with Hashem as being something that's personal and directed directly towards them. That's why they can end up getting involved in all these other negative, um, negative behaviors. Mm-hmm. So just a little bit about that. <laughs> Right. I can finish off the parak. <laughs> right. The great
1: uh, uh you know finale <laughs> to the seventh parak. So we're gonna start uh, the eighth parak. Um and we're now moving on to another item in the list in our Mishnah. You know, back in the day, where we listed um, ceremonies which must be done or um, passages which must be read in Lashon Hakodesh in Hebrew, uh, and the one we're going to focus on right now is the Meshuach Melchama, right—a who who is specially anointed to speak to the Jewish people when they go out to war. Um, so Meshuach Melchama. So the B'Shesh of Adabar al-A'am, When the, you know, Kayan that was anointed for war would speak to the people, he would speak in Hebrew. Uh, and there's actually a script that's written in the P'sukin, right in Devarim, Parachaf. There's actually the, there's, you know, a number of P'sukin which actually detail exactly what uh, he should say. Shanamar, as it says, Right, it says when you get close, draw close to the battlefield, the kain shall approach. Right? What does it mean? The kay What's the kain? Right? The kain implies a Kayin that is, you know, it's a definite article. Right? It's the Kayin, which is, you know, a specific one. So That's the kain which is appointed for war. Uh, he should speak to the people. Leshnechardesh. The words V'dabir somehow indicate Leshnechardesh. We'll unpack that more in the Gemara. Um, and the pasuk says that he should say to them, the Amar Lamb Shma Yisrael. Um, so I'll just like read a little bit more of the pasuk. Uh, inside, so it says, "I am Ralayim Shema Yisrael, atam Kriyv Mayen L'molchama Alav Echem, Al Yerach L'vavchem, Al Tiru, Al Tichbuzu, Al Tartzu Mipneiha." Right here, oh Israel, you're getting, you're drawing close to, to the battlefield today against your enemies. Uh, don't let your courage falter. Don't be in fear. Don't panic or be in dread of them. Um, so the Gemara is now going to analyze each part of that pasuk. So it says, you're going to war, right, on your enemies. Not on your brothers. Right, it's not as though Yehuda is fighting with Shimon or Shimon is fighting with Binyamin, uh, where if you fall into their hands, um, they will take mercy on them. Uh, it says, this is actually in the context there was a war between the northern kingdom uh, of Israel and the kingdom of Yehuda. And actually the kingdom of Israel had struck, had won right, and taken some 2,000 captives from Yehuda. Uh, And then Navi had told them to return those captives, Uh, right, that although they had won the war, they shouldn't, it wasn't right for them to take their brother and their own fellow Jews as slaves, you know, uh, as war captives. And so not only did they send them back, right, they did They did even more than that. It says the men who were called by name took the captives, which they had gotten in war, uh, and they clothed the naked from the spoils that they got in the war. And they, you know, they dressed them. They gave them shoes. They gave them to eat. They gave them to drink. They anointed them. They placed them on donkeys, right, if they were unable to walk uh, because of, you know, their injuries. They placed them on donkeys. Uh, And they brought them to Erechai right near their brothers, right near uh, their section of Ares and then they return to Shomron, right? So we see here how, you know, although there was a civil war, right, they were fighting each other at the end of the day, right, they still had this love for each other. And, you know, we have this kind of interesting scene where the victors in a war are helping uh, and aiding their captives. Right? um and so then i he's saying now this this is not like that right you're going you're going to war against your enemies right if they fall into your hands you should not have mercy they should not have mercy you should they will not have mercy on you right uh and so you should also not have mercy on them right so uh right so it says four different uh expressions uh, for the, kind of the same thing, right? Saying that they shouldn't be afraid. So it says a but all Right. So uh, these four expressions are correspond to four different scare tactics that was common for ancient armies to use. Al uh, don't let your heart be faint mutates a because of the neighing of the horses. The Tsiksucharabis and the sharpening of the swords. Altiakafas Alti don't be afraid. We play gafas turisin, because of the knocking of the shields, the shiftsin and the knocking of the boots. Al don't be alarmed, me call Kranis from the sound of the trumpets. Valtarzu, we play Kaltzbachis due to the sound of the shouts. The Kain continues talking, and he says, right? Don't be afraid. Why? Because Hashem, your God, is walking before you, right, and fighting against your enemies for you." right, so the Gemara elucidates, right, what the Kain says. It says they, right, are enemies. They come with the with the championship, right? With the, you know, history of victories, uh, of man of flesh and blood. but You are coming while being championed by Hashem. Right? The plishim came uh, while being championed by Galyas. Right? At the end of the day, at the end, what happened to Galias? He fell by the sword, right? And the plishim fell with him. Today, but the Ammonites, sorry, the uh, in the times of David and championed by Shobach. Um, what was his end? He too fell by the sword, and his nation fell with him. The autumn but you, you are not like them. Hashem your God is going with you. to fight for you. Uh, this is this verse, right? Is referring to the camp of the Aron, right? As long with the nation, which has the Aron, going out with them in war will be protected. Okay, so let's move on to the Gemara. So the Gemara says, "My Ka'amar. right? So. The, the Gemara had said, how do we know that the Mushuach Muhammad needs to speak in Lashen HaKodesh? Because it says, V'daber El Ha'am, right? And that means Lashen HaKodesh. Now, <laughs> it doesn't really seem to be much of a proof, right? If you remember, in earlier places, we said the word Anuva Amru indicates Lashen HaKodesh, perhaps the word Kol, perhaps the word... Uh, there was one more word. Perhaps the word kai indicates Leshna Kodesh. but the word Vidaber, that's just a generic, it seems like a, just a generic word to speak, right? How in that how does that indicate Leshna Kodesh? So, and the Mishnah didn't really spell that out. So the Gamar said Hathika Amar. This is what the Mishnah was getting at. Shinamar, as it says, Vidaber. It says that the kain should speak to the people using the root word daber and later on it says, right? Misha would speak, and Hashem would answer with the voice, right? This is by Mat and Torah just like Mat and Torah was conducted. In Hebrew, so too, the kind would speaks to the people with Lashna right? So we have another Shava another instance where the same word is used in both places, and therefore we can derive a similarity. Tani so we learn in a Am, the Kayan would approach and speak to the people. yahoo Kalkayan, right? Just reading that part of the Pasak, you might have thought, oh, it could be any Kayan. Kal Kayan Shears, any kind who wants to. Tamad Limar, Vidabru Hashaiften. Right. So it says later on that uh there are a bunch of people who would speak. There was a series of speeches on the battlefield. Uh so the kayan would speak. Um followed by the the shaitrim, right? The officers, right? So, ma uh, shaitrim, just as the officers are appointed, af kayan, so too this kayan has to be a kayan who is appointed for the job. The aim of kayan So you're like, okay, if it's the kayan who's appointed the job, maybe the pasuk is referring to the kayan gatto, right? He is, you know, <laughs> the definition of an appointed kain. So the Gemara says, "No, de shaiter. Right? It has to be a kain who is similar to a shaiter, to a, like sort of a police equivalent of a police officer. Mat shaiter Just like a police, a law enforcement officer has someone appointed above him. Right? The judge has authority over him." Uh, the Shaiter's job is only to enforce whatever the judge decides. Afkayin sheishimuna algaba. So too, the kain here is a kain who's appointed, but there's somebody who has authority over him. Uh, so it's, so the gemara says, okay, great, kain all nami. The kain all fills all of those requirements. hogaba. Right, he's appointed, and he's not the top of the line. There's the king who has authority over the kain gadol. Uh so the mars says no, but When we say you need Mamuna al-Ghab, someone appointed above him, it needs to be someone appointed above him in his job. Right? So the Kayen Gadal doesn't have anyone above him in with regard to the abide and the base of Mekdesh. Um Sabhabharasa so, Kama, right? We said we said Mamuna meant you know appointed above him in his work. The aim of Sagan. So we're like, all right, fine. So what about the Sagan, right? Assistant Kai Gadol, right? So the Sgan, we talked about him briefly before, right? Uh he was kind of seems to fit the bill, right? He's a Kayan. He's specifically appointed for the role of Sagan. And there's someone above him, the Kai Gadol. So the answer is skan la The skan isn't really appointed for any particular job, right? And any day in the of like just the skan doesn't really do anything different. He doesn't have any special job. Um, Lama. Uh, so what is the skan for? Like what's what's its function? Right? The scholar is just there as a backup. That if there's any uh, the kind is disqualified, the kind guttol is disqualified for any reason, right? Like so, he becomes tame and he can't serve in the base of their that Then the Sagan goes and serves instead of him. But so that's not really a, a job. That's just he's a backup. If he needs to, he can fill in for the kind's job. But he doesn't have an official role, right? So therefore. Um because the skan doesn't fit the bill for what we need in the past, like it must be that there's another Kayyne, not the Kedal, not the Skan, who is appointed for the express purpose of making this speech. But Amar and Israel. So the Mishnah had said that the Cahane um says this gives the speech and he starts the speech with the words Shma Israel. Listen, oh Israel. My Shema Israel. Right, so why? Why does he start with that language? It's an interesting uh, introduction, right? Shema Israel. So Amr Rabbi Yochanan, uh, Misham Rabbi Shem, Ben Yuchai, Rabbi Yochanan said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Amr A Yochanan says to them, the Yisrael to the Jewish people, al- Iyad Even if you only have the mitzvah, the merit of the mitzvah of saying Shema
0: morning and night,
1: you will not be delivered into their hands.
0: Just a short idea about that. Why? Why Shema specifically and not anything else? Not any other mitzvah, right? Um, so the Saremi Shemul has two really nice ideas. One is that you know Shema, saying the saying the words of Shema is all about kabbal Olam Chas shamayim right? Receiving the yoke of heaven, and and it's sort of this 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 commitment that the Jew has. That's higher than, than seichel, like higher than intellect. It's not it's not a rational commitment, but it's just this this sort of surrender to something that's beyond us. And he says that's sort of the uniqueness of the Jewish nation, that their relationship with Hashem or or the reason why they they'll behave in a moral way is not just based on their under their logical, rational understanding like the other nations might be, but we have this relationship with Hashem which sort of transcend our our rationality, and that's what gives us this unique schus to be able to be victorious. Um, and the second idea is that when we say Shema Yisrael, we, we say Shema Yisrael, which is about Kabbalah all, right, accepting the yoke of heaven, but the next pasuk is via hafta, right, you shall love Hashem, which is this very, sort of, almost paradoxical um, um paradoxical like relationship where on the one hand we have this like commitment to Hashem accepting accepting the yoga of heaven which normally would seem to be something which is burdensome, right? Like you can you can commit to something that you aren't, you know, you don't understand, but it's not gonna you're not gonna necessarily gonna have like a love or an appreciation or a joy that comes with that. But what's unique about the relationship that the Jewish people have with Hashem is that even when we have Kabbalah, even when we're accepting the yoke of heaven, it's not with this heaviness and this, and this sense of burden, but it's it comes from this place of joy and love that we're able to fulfill Hashem's will, um, even if it's not something that we can understand or relate to. Um, so that's the second sort of an explanation of what, what's unique about um, how Shema Yisrael represents the uniqueness of the Jewish nation that makes them merit um, Hashem's help in war. Mm. Wow, that's so powerful.
1: So the Kaya, right, the Mishnah had continued, uh, describing, you know, relaying the words that that the Mishuach Muhammad would say. Uh, the Mishnah said, All year, he would tell them not to be afraid, not to falter. So our sages have taught, In truth, the Mishuach melchama would make two speeches. He would speak to the Troops twice, one time at the border, but one time on the actual battlefield. So Basfar My what did he? What would he say on the on the um, battlefield? So Shimu Divri Marche right? So he would he would say, you know, t- speak to those who are kind of the in charge for the generals in charge of the war, uh, and kind of consider and select those who are fit to fight in battle, uh, the chizru and Muhammad, right? And he also tells all of those who are exempt from army duty to go back home, right? We're going to talk later about what these exemptions are, right? But for example, someone who just got married, right? Someone who just had a new, you know, dedicated a new house, right? So he tells all the people who need to go to go. Sorry, yeah, the chizru, I just to broke up, break up the um the line properly. So, shimu did remark he tells the generals write to, you know, what they need to know to select someone who's fit for battle. The uh, Chizru, and he also tells those who need to return to return. Bamil Chama, during the war at the battlefield, Mahu Aimer, what does he say? Right, that's when he says, don't be afraid. Etc. In all these four different ways, and this Breysser is going to say something similar to what we saw in the Mishnah. Right? These four expressions are correspond to the four you know practices that these uh, Gentile nations would use as scare tactics. So, Magiethin they clash their weapons. Marian, they blast horns. Spachin they shout. Barimson and they trample their horses. So the Mishnah had uh, had said after that, Plishim Bumnis Galias. Right? The Plishim came with the victory of Galias, etc. So now we're going to go on uh, for a little bit uh, talking about Galias. So Galias, a Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabbi Yochanan said, Galias, what's the what is um, what's the meaning behind Galias's name? Or This happens a lot uh, in the Gemara. We would say the names in Tanakh don't aren't just names. They often symbolize something about the character or the background uh, of the person. So what's the meaning behind the name Galiash? <laughs> that he was stood uh, brazenly, right? And challenged uh, Hashem with brazenness. as It says, <laughs> right, He says that Goliath would go out to the Jewish camp and every day he would say, choose for yourself a man to fight with me. right, And whoever wins, you know, will prevail. Uh but the Gemara says he wasn't just he used the word ish specifically. He wasn't just talking about any man, any Jew from the camp. The ish ela The word Ish uh, refers and is used to describe Hashem. Shanamar Hashem Ishmochamah, or Hashem, a man of war. Amar ben ish. So Hashem said, you know, he wants to fight with me. He wants to fight with the ish Hama. I will cause him to fall through the Ben-Ish, the son of a man, Shennemar, but David Ben-Ish, Ephrasi has that. David, the son of a man from Ephras, right? So David is called Ben-Ish and he will punish the Galias who wanted to fight with the Ish, El Chama. said in the name of three instances, Goliath's tongue sort of tripped him up, right? And he unwittingly uh, predicted his downfall. First, he said, choose for yourself a man and he will go down to me. The word Eli can also be read as Vayered Allah. He will descend onto me and conquer me. Another time, if he's able to fight with me and kill me. Right? So if you just read that word, it could be read to say, if he will be fight me and he will kill me, right? In other words, predicting a downfall. The and a third time, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Uh, but again, that pasta could be read as a sentence, not as a rhetorical question, but as a sentence. I am a dog who you should come to with sticks. Mark says, hey, wait a second. <laughs> it, you know, if you read fine, you could read all the in this way in sort of a literal, very literal sense. Um, but then you could say the same thing about David. David Namiya, right? David also said to him, a similar type of expression. Right, you're gonna come to me with a sword, with a javelin and a spear. Um so right, so I mean you could also read that as saying as David sort of predicting that you know, he'll be, he'll be uh, conquered. So, Morris says, no, right afterwards, like, David immediately follows up that statement with, But I come in the name of Hashem, uh, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, which you have taunted. Uh, right, so David and Malach, you know, only said the first part of his sentence in order so that he could glorify the name of Hashem uh, and and say and show that you know his power is stronger than any physical weapon. Okay, so the, we're going to continue um, expounding different parts of the story of David and Galia. So it says, "But It says the plishti drew close to the camp morning and evening, right? And every morning and every evening, he would say, he would kind of taunt them and say, oh, do you think anyone can fight me, right? Uh, so Amar B'Yohanan said, he picks up on the fact that it says, which is an interesting choice of words, uh, every morning and every evening. Why would he specifically come at those times? So Amar said, in order to uh, prevent them from saying, in morning and at night, right? He was interrupting them, right, during that time, right, kind of reminiscent, actually, what we said before, right, uh, just on the bottom of the previous Amad, uh, that just the merit of saying Kirishma, right, would protect, be sufficient, to protect the Jews in battle. So along those lines, right, it would make sense that Galias was specifically trying to attack and prevent the performance and the fulfillment of that very mitzvah. Um, so it says further it says that Goliath stood uh, and you know did, his, did this ritual every single morning every single night for 40 days right this is like corresponds to the 40 days over which the Torah was given uh, basically indicating that he wanted to uh, challenge and uh, do away with the Torah that was given over 40 days Okay, so more about Goliath himself, what was his background, where did he come from? So uh the Nevi describes the Ish Habina'i, Machmas right? Describes Goliath and says, a man from between the camps, right, uh came out from the camp of the Plishin. Now, the word Binay is kind of an interesting word, right? So what does Benay mean? So my Benaim, what's Benayim? Rab said, he was built. Perfectly, his body was perfectly built without any blemish. Shmuel said it's kind of like a he kind of like a mediocre, right? Even though he was so strong, he was mediocre, of mediocre strength compared to his brothers. Um, the school of used to say, he was built like a building, right? Very strong and sturdy. Rabbi Yochanan Amar Papi Vachad Anani, Rabbi Yochanan said he was the son of a um, hundred stepfathers and one father. That's Rashi's translation, uh, which means that uh, on the night that he was conceived, his mother engaged in relations with 101 men. So one man was the true father and all the others were sort of stepfathers, so to speak, as they engaged in relations with his mother on the same night. Um, so in, according to that view, ish means he came from between all of these different, you know, men. Uh, the Goliath shmai Migas. gas right? So that verse, which, that same Pesach, which introduces us to Goliath, says, right, this man came out from the camp of the Pishim, his name was Goliath, and he was from Gath. Right, so, what's the significance of the place he was from? Gos, so Tani Rav Yosef, and it's because everyone would thresh his mother like a wine press, uh, indicating she was very promiscuous. the and Maarachis, And it says further that Galiath came from the Ma'aros uh, of the Plishtim, right? The caves of the Plishtim. Uh, that's how it's written. Uh, but as happens with many words in Tanakh, there's a way that it's written, and there's a tradition of how the word should be read. So the the way it's written, is Ma'aros. The Karina and the tradition of how it should be read is Ma'arachas, uh, Ma'arachos meaning the ranks. Um, so Ma'arachos seems to be the most, you know, kind of literal description, right? He came from the ranks of the Christian. So what is the meaning of the word Ma'aros, caves? So Tanuraviyosev, Yosef taught. Shakal Ha'arubi'imai. The word Ma'aros comes from the word of hara, a meaning to penetrate, uh, which means that everyone penetrated uh, his mother, uh, indicating kind of along the lines of what we said before, that she was with many men. Siv Harapha. Uksiv Arpa. So it's written in Shmuel that Goliath's mother was Harafa, uh, and in Rus, it actually says that her name was Orpa. Right? We know that Orpa was actually the father of Goliath, which kind of makes it interesting, right? David and Goliath are sort of distant cousins, right? When they're and they're fighting against each other. So Rabu Shmuel. So Rabu Shmuel differ uh, about what her real name was. Right? Was her real name Harafa or was her real name Orpa? So, Amar Shema, one says her name was Harafah, but Lama Nikra Shema Orpah. So, why was her name called Orpah? Orpah was just a nickname, sort of describing her personality. She called Orpah because everyone would engage, everyone would come at her uh, from behind, i.e., engaging in relations with her. Chad Amar Arpa and another one says that her real name was Arpa, and Harafa is the nickname, right? why was she called Rafa? She called Dash and Aisha Harifis. Everyone would thrash her like groats, Uh right? Basically along the same lines, right? She was with many men, um, and we're now going to bring two psukim which prove that the word Harafa Hariface means groats. So it says that woman took, uh, it's actually when David is fighting against Abshalom, there's two spies that were fleeing afshalom and trying to bring a message to David's side, right? Uh, and they hide in this woman's house. And it says, how did this woman hide them? This woman took uh, a covering uh, and covered, they, she hid them in a well, and she took a covering and placed it over the mouth of the wow, well, and then she spread groats on top of the covering uh, to hide them, right? So the Pasuk uses the word harifais, meaning groats. And if you want, I actually have another Pasuk, right? The Gemara has another Pasuk, which uh, uses the word in that way. It says though you crush a fool with a mortar or with a pestle among groats, right? So again, harifos here means groats. Okay, so continue our discussion of Goliath. So the S, our boss, Ela, you'll do La Rafa, but Gas. But Yiplubiyad, David, Uviyad. Sorry, I just lost the place. But Yiplubiyad, David, Uviyad, Abde. Um, so it says these four were born to Harapha and Gas, and they fell in the hands of David and by the hands of the servants. Um so right, so it says. So, mine and who? Who are these four children of Harefa? So Amorab, Amorab Chinter. said, "Saf Umadain galias, the Yishbi ben Right, Saf Umadain Galyas and Yishbi, uh, who was fought with, who David fought with in Naif. But blew by David and blew and so they fell into the hands of David and his servants. So why, right? What was why? Why did they were they punished in this way? So the tishak orpa lechaimasa, but Ruth right? So it says that Orpa kissed her her mother-in-law goodbye, right, and then just went on her way. Uh, but Ruth, but Ruth uh, stuck to her, right, stuck by her side. Amar Rabbi Yisrael, Rabbi said, Amar Kadosh Baruch Hashem said at that moment, Yavayu bnei hanashuka, ve'yiplu biyad hadavuka. Right, made the sons of the one who kissed her mother in law but didn't really stick stick with her fall into the hands of the descendants of the Devuka, the one who stuck with her. Darash <inaudible> Rabbah, Rabbah taught, Rabbah said, you know, there's kind of a two sided coin here, right? On the one hand, she was kind of punished, right, for not uh, being loyal to Naomi. Uh, but on the other hand, she was also rewarded, right? That she cried, says so she cried four tears. Arpa cried four tears uh, when departing from her mother-in-law. And because of those four tears, she married it to have four strong children. Shanamar, but to seeana, either. It says that she lifted, they lifted up their voice and wept again. Right. So this indicates that Arpa Arpa wept two times, right? says so they wept again, meaning she wept one time before. like uh, and Rashi explains that each time, right, they, two tears come down, right, one from each eye, at least, so that ends up with four teardrops, and so you get, uh, you get four drops, which are rewarded with four, um, strong descendants. Siv, right, so the Pasuk later on describes Goliath's strength and his armor. So, Ksiv, this is another uh, comparison between the way the Pasuk is written in the scroll and the text and the way it, the tradition tells us to read it. So, Ksiv, it says that uh, half of his spear was a, was like a weaver's beam, meaning his his spear was twice as thick of a weaver's beam. Uh, but the way you read it is just the shaft, the handle of his spear, uh, Was like a weaver's beam, right? So the way you read it is a much less impressive description, right? It's like half of the thickness. Uh, as, as you know, eighth indicates something a uh, spear, which is as thick of a weaver's beam, which is half of what chet which would mean, which means that uh, it's double the width of a weaver's beam. So Amar Avilazir said, "A day lahi gani luchati shifkasu el rasha. Right. Uh, The way that it's supposed to be read is only describing half of the praise of this Russia of Goliath. So we we learn from here that it is forbidden to tell, uh, recount the praises of the wicked. Right. And that's why we don't read, you know, the description in its full glory. So the Gemara asks, okay, if we're not supposed to praise Rishayim, but So the, the passage should describe it to begin with. Why did we start with this to begin with? So the Gemara answers David, right? It tells you uh, the praise it, you know, at least some of the praise um, of Goliath in order to praise David, right? Because it's more praiseworthy for David himself if he if he conquers someone who's stronger. And we're mighty. Okay. So we've closed our discussion on Goliath. So we're now moving on in our analysis of the Mishnah. So the Mishnah had said uh, um, that the Mishruach Muhammad tells the Jewish people, Babu, right? She would say, Oh, remember the name right? Who came with the victory of Shuvah, right? And they tried to fight David Amalek, right? They thought they were going to win. Remember that? Um, so the Gemara is now going to discuss and analyze the, uh, the Shuvach, name. So Shuvach was the, the general, right, of Amon. Uh, and interestingly enough, Ksiv Shuvach, right, when when his name is written in Shmuel Bez, it's written as Shuvach. Uh, and Uksiv Shavach, and it's also written when it's in Devaray Yamin, it's written as Shavach. So Rabu Shmuel, Rab and Shmuel disagree uh, about which name is the real name. Chad Amar One says Shaifach is his real name. So why was his why is his name also why is he also referred to as Shaibach? So Shaibach is just a nickname, right, describing him. Shavach like is Shaibach, because he was built like a dove coat, right? Very tall and very strong. Uh, and the other says, no, Shaybach was his real name. And Shaybach is the nickname. Why was his why was he called Shayfach? that ever anyone who would see him would become so frightened and afraid of his strength that they would just spill before him like a jug. Uh, the Gemara records a um about you know, the strength of the forces of a Netzar. It's not directly related to what we're saying now, but it's also a dispute between Rab and Shmuel, which is why we're mentioning it here. So, Kamara said, ashpatai the Pasa can hear me says, rather, ashpatai could cover Pasuach, Kul, and Rab. Right, it says their quiver is like an open grave, and they're all very mighty. So Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Shmuel disagree with Amrila, Rabi Ami, Rabbi Asi. Some say this disagreement was actually between Rabi Ami and Rabbi Asi. Chad Amar, one says, at the moment that they throw a spear, they make heaps and heaps of corpses. Right? Um, they are commenting on the word Ashbasai, which is an interesting word. It means um, an arrow, right? But it's just an unusual word. So that's why the from Ami and Shmuel, are darshaning, right? Are explaining the meaning of this word. So they're saying, you know, as soon as they throw a spear, it creates ashbasa, piles of corpses. B'shemat timer Mikrav. right? You might think, oh, they're just skilled at warfare, but they're not actually strong. So therefore, it says the Pesach tells you, no, they were all very mighty, right? They're also very physically strong. Uh, the other says. The reason it uses the word ashbatha is because when they attend to their needs or when they go to the bathroom, they make piles and piles of waste. And perhaps you can say they're simply ill. They have a stomach illness. Um, right, so that's why the Pesach says they're all very mighty. The reason why they excrete so much is because they're just very large men. So, Amar Rav Rav said, "Shmamina," right? You could... You know, The takeaway from here, <laughs> what should you take away from this latter interpretation? Uh, hi, mum, right? We, you know, we mentioned here that if if you generally if somebody has a lot of waste, uh, you know, excretes a lot of waste, then that is indicative of an, an, an illness in the intestines. Uh, so Gamar asked Lamai Nafgamina, right? What was you know, why did remari say this, right? What was the practical Uh, difference there you know application of this teaching (sighs) so give our answers it's you know very simple very straightforward litrich b'nafshe right so that a person should know if you suffer these symptoms you should get medical help right and you should attend to the illness okay so one final medical, medical advice in here exactly right um, okay, so one final uh, disagreement between Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Asi. Uh, So it's so the pasuk in Mishli says the Aga ish Right, if the, a person has a worry in his heart, yaschana. Right, so there's two different interpretations of the word yaschana. Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Azi. Uh, one says he should push it and force it out of his mind. But Khad amar the other says kind of the opposite yes la there and he should speak about it
0: to others so this this uh, this final teaching here um, first of all the commentaries explain it's not necessarily a disagreement and you could say that um, you know you should try to just push it out of your mind which is sort of the showing sort of demonstrating a trust in hashem that I'm not going to be concerned about you know whatever is going on in my life um, but if you can't then the advice is to try to talk it out with other people to, as a way of you know, allowing you to, being able to really sort of let go of that, of that worry and concern. Um, It's interesting, there's, there's, you know, the famous mimer, which talks about, um, the mimer in general is about you know, unity and and you know, developing developing a certain sense of unity and closeness with other people. And there's one, the tenth parak, talks about um, sort of the advantages of being able to talk out your your concerns and really your your struggles in your service of Hashem with other people, and how we're never really able to fully, you know um, develop ourselves as people, um, without the help of the people around us. So one of the things it talks about is how, when it sort of lists a bunch of advantages to talking out your spiritual struggles with other people and actually quotes this Gemara, right. That says, um, you should talk it out with other people. And it says, just like, you know, psychologically, when you have, you know, just any concern, any, any, you know, struggle or or pain that you're going through, that's on your mind. um, you know, when you talk it out with another person, then in the moment that you talk about it, it's much more painful, right? Like when something's in our mind, being able to to, to talk it out sort of brings out all of the emotion, and it makes the emotions much more intense than they were before. Um, but once you finish talking it out, then it sort of relieves that that pain, and it's sort of it, it it's sort of like a it's it's soothing in a way, right? It sort of allows you to sort of feel relieved from what was on your heart. Uh, and a lot of the commentaries discuss this, right? The, the the advice here is sort of telling you that when you talk something out, it, it it allows you to sort of feel comforted, right? And feel relieved of that, the intense emotions that you had. And he says, the same thing is true spiritually, right? When a person has a certain spiritual struggle or a flaw that they're struggling with, um, it's important to be able to talk out those struggles with other people because at the time that you talk about it, it, it it might feel very painful, right? It might feel very like like difficult and harsh to be able to have to like talk out the things that you're, you know, the the, the flaws that you have. But ultimately, that process of talking it out is what actually allows you to sort of be cleansed um, of that of that um, struggle. Because a process of, of sort of bringing up the pain that you have about the fact that you're struggling with that flaw um, is sort of a cleansing process in itself and allows you to rectify it and move on and sort of, you know, make positive resolu- resolutions for the future. Um, just just one more idea about this. Right, you see, just one sort of... Uh, Sort of a twist on, on those words that you doesn't mean to talk out your concerns with other people, but it could also mean um, to to daven for other people, right? to talk in words of davening to pray for other people because the the I guess the best sort of um, advice to someone who's going through their own pain is to be able to identify with someone else's pain and daven for them, um, and that ultimately will sort of end up resolving their own their own concerns as well. All right. Wow. <laughs> okay. That's a great way to end off. and we will pick up tomorrow with uh, the next stop.